Well, hello, 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 and welcome to Bible Study Live. We are so grateful and thankful for you being with us, being a part of us. Uh, thank you for being a part of this ministry, for tuning in, and for showing up. And for that, we appreciate you and we thank you. We're going to take some time and we're going to pray. Go before the Lord in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, we ask that you would just strengthen us and illuminate us. God, encourage us as we study. Bless us as we move forward into the things of God. We also ask that you will look on the uh, various things going on in the body, uh, specifically here at Deliverance Temple. We ask that you would look on those who are in the hospital and who are recovering from surgery. God, touch their bodies. Bless those who are grieving. Uh, continue to uplift their spirits and encourage them, God. Uh, bless those who are financially battling and struggling, God. Just touch us as we move forward and we grow and go in the things of God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So once again, we are in a series uh, that we've been enjoying teaching. And so what we'll do is uh, we will look at uh, what that series is. That series is simply called Healthy Church. And so we have been in a few installments of that. Uh, the first one was actually called Healthy Church. And then the second one, we talked about Healthy Self. And then we transition on uh, Sunday to what we would call this, and that was healthy diagnosis. So uh, it's actually continuing the theme of healthy self, but to actually move to a, a healthy diagnosis. In order to do that, we wanted to define diagnosis, and that is uh, the identification of the nature of an illness or other problem by examination of the symptoms. So in order to have a healthy diagnosis, you're going to have to look at the symptoms. And um, usually when we think of symptoms, we, we mainly are looking at symptoms as a negative thing because it usually shows that there is a problem there. But uh, sometimes the lack of symptoms are very good too. Or uh, sometimes the symptoms are there, but they're not serious. Maybe, uh, you know, th there are certain things that are symptomatic that may uh, show signs of something deeper, but it's actually something not that uh, life-threatening, not that big of an issue. Uh, for, for example, well, um, sometimes the symptoms of heartburn can mimic the symptoms of a heart ache, which are totally different. One could be life-threatening, one is not. And so sometimes when you're diagnosing things and you have a symptom, it may not be as bad as you think it is. So that's why it has to be diagnosed. They have to run through some tests and checks. So when we're looking at a healthy church, uh, one of the first things we talked about is how humanity gets in the way of healthy. And so it's good to diagnose, is this something that is just human or is this is something that is unhealthy? And so in that very first uh, series, we were talking about the collective, excuse me, the first portion of the series, we were talking about the collective. And now we've been getting to drill down more to the individual, because what we're trying to prove to you is that only you can really know how healthy you are. And so it's up to you to bring the healthiest version of yourself into the church so that we can have a healthy collective. And so that's kind of how we are moving through in the series. We will at some point go back into the collective more. But right now we're drilling 
down into each and every one of us. And, and it's important to know that because the healthy church collective, is, it's made up of just what the individuals do. One individual can really mess up the health of the collective. So when we all take ownership of self, it really makes things uh, flow a lot better. And it, it's in line with our vision statement because the first portion is we connect with our creator continually, which is away from the collective. Just in our own individual space, we are consistently connecting with our creator. And since he is the creator and the manufacturer of us, he's the one who helps us diagnose us and helps us make sure we have the healthy self or we heal ourselves. Like Jesus told the man, hey, take up your bed and walk because I'm here. And when I'm in a relationship with you, I'm empowering you to be the best version of yourself. Now, one thing that we also learn is being the best version of ourself. We can't do it alone. We need the collective. And so uh, I believe it was last week we talked about uh, healthy self is actually a group effort. So we're not saying you can do it all by yourself, but it's being alone by yourself where you realize, okay, there's some areas I need to work on and I'm going to do the best I can. And where I can't, I'm coming to the collective for them to heal me too. But I'm not just always coming to the collective to be healed. I'm also coming to the collective to administer healing, to help healing. So in some areas I'm strong. And when I show up, I'm bringing that to the table. In other areas I'm weak and I'm bringing that to the table, but I don't want to be the member that is always receiving, always consuming, always taking. I actually want to be bringing to the table as well. We haven't mentioned this at all, but your giving shows a sign of healthiness because some people are only coming to churches to receive. I'm coming to get my praise on. I'm coming to get a word, but then they never do any type of giving. They never volunteer. They never put anything in the plate. They never add to. They are just consumers. And when you have a majority of a church that are consumers, it drags the whole church down. You really need a majority of the church that are givers. Okay. So having said that, let's move uh, on. We already did the uh, definition. Let's move on to the verses. So we're looking at Revelations 3.14. And it says, and to the angel of the church and Laodicea to write. This is what the amen the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation says. And this LEB is the Lexham English Bible. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. Very familiar uh, passage, a rebuke from Jesus. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so, once again, we talked about the healthy self equals heal thyself. And so, if you're recognizing and realizing that there's a level of lukewarmness in you, and Jesus does not deal with that type of lukewarm spirit, then you ought to know that ahead of time. Like, okay, I'm coming to church, but I'm coming right now in a lukewarm state. So, I'm looking to be inspired to get rid of that because I can't keep bringing that to the church and possibly infecting other people with that mindset. So 
it's good to know that 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 really isn't the problem. The problem is what we see further. So before you can heal thyself, there has to be a self-diagnosis. All right. So here's the problem. Because you are saying I am rich and have become rich and have need of nothing. And you don't know that you are wretched, pitiable and poor and poor and blind and naked. So the major problem here was they had totally misdiagnosed themselves. They were calling themselves healthy when Jesus was looking at them and saying they were totally unhealthy. So the standard that they were using was much lower than the standard that God was using. And the problem with this particular church is they were using material things to prove that they were spiritually healthy. So because their car payment was paid up, their house was okay. They were able to go on vacations. They were dressing good, looking good. They had means in their minds. That was the sole uh, factor in them believing that they were healthy. And Jesus is saying, you're totally opposite of what I'm saying. I call you unhealthy. I actually call you naked. I actually call you pitiful. I'm willing to spew you out of my mouth. You're not really moving in the things of God, but because you're so material minded and not spiritually minded, you're checking off all these boxes that are material and earthly. And you're saying you're fine. And I'm saying you're mess. And because I have you in the world to help the world, you are so lukewarm. You're not affecting the world. You're just doing everything the world is doing. And I can't deal with you. And uh, I don't really have time to go all the way into what the implication of the seven churches in Revelation, what that means for us. But there are uh, church ages. So in the dispensation of time, uh, many of those seven churches represented the different ages throughout history of the church. Well, when you get to our age, there is a competing between the Philadelphia church and the Laodicean church. The Philadelphia church was the church of brotherly love. And so then there's the Laodicean church. That is this one who's totally misdiagnosed himself. So in our context, there are competing church spirits. They're, they're, they're more competing, but in our Deliverance Temple Church context, there's going to be competing spirits. Number one, the spirit to love, to be a church of love. Well, over time, a church of love begins to result in actually prosperity. Things begin to, to happen after you've given, given, given through your love. You begin to reap harvest. The problem is Sometimes the harvest will make people become complacent spiritually. It's easy for people who are poor and broke and struggling to press into the things of God. Sometimes it seems like, well, that would be hard for them to do it, but sometimes they have no other choice. I'm grieving so hard that I have to turn to God. Well, then when God begins to turn the morning into dancing and then the church is filling up with people and then it's filling up with wealth. 
The trick is to forget to keep diagnosing yourself according to spiritual desires and start looking, well, who? My pastor got off the job and he's able to go and preach at this conference. He's able to do this. He's flying here. He's flying there. We are an awesome church. But does that say you're an awesome church? Have you lost the fervor and the fire that you had when you were struggling, when you were battling? So we always have to be careful that we are always diagnosing ourselves properly. We can't look at outside sources only to say whether or not we are successful. The fact that you're able to go on more vacations, you're able to buy bigger and better things, that in itself does not mean you're blessed. It could be a sign of the blessing, but it could be a trick of the enemy. So in my own uh, pastoring, I've seen where people pray for something and then they say God blessed them with it and then watch them uh, watch and see how the blessing they believe God blessed them with pulled them actually away from God. Many times it's happened with women and uh, their singlehood and they finally get someone. And over time, you see that that someone has now pulled them away from the things of God or to see people get a job that they really desperately needed. And over time, that pulls them away from God. Well, the way to cure that is if you're always self-diagnosing, you begin to understand and know between yourself. Yes, I pray for this and I got this. But if I'm honest with myself, this is pulling me away from God. The church may not have figured it out yet. My pastor may not have figured it out yet. But through my own connection with my creator, I understand I need to adjust. So I'm going to come to the house of God to get the equipment I need. But then I'm going to go and I'm going to heal myself and try to make sure I'm doing that. And so that really leads us to our first point. So let, let's actually cover just a few things really quick. So. We talked about signs and symptoms, so we were going to go through some signs and symptoms. Either this is a symptom of a failure or it's actually a sign that you're doing well, you're in the right posture, right position. And so we just took healthy, broke it down as an acronym, and just given us a few signs and symptoms. There's so many more that we can do. I just use these so that I could spell it out because I love using acronyms because of the way it makes it stick in my head. So the first one was honesty. H equals honesty. So when we view that, how honest are we with ourselves? That has to be the very first place, especially if we're going to be a church of love. We're going to have to have honesty because love can be faked. Let me give you an example, uh, especially love in action. In the, the Bible, in the King James, in the love chapter, it calls it charity, which is love in action. Well, love in action can be faked because of the results that it produces. For example, so when we've been dealing a lot with a lot of loss of loved ones of people. So being a church of love, we want to rally around people. We want to give them food, offer them things. But let's say, um, I'm just a totally random example, but let's say I'm bringing someone food who has lost a loved one. I show up at their house and their house is a little unkept. It's a little dirty. I bring the food and they're like, oh, I thank you. I appreciate you. I love you for loving me in my time of grief. Oh yeah, I love you. But when I leave there, I go and I gossip about how dirty their house is. So because I did an act of love, it looks like I'm loving, but actually behind the scenes, 
I'm actually not helping that person. What I really could have done is stepped in and say, oh, I need to call someone to help them because maybe the grief is that they're not able to clean the house like they normally would. So we're going to rally around. But it's easy to somewhat fake love when it's love in action because you can do things, but your heart really be somewhere else. And as a leader and as a pastor, that's what scares me the most because there's just a lot of stuff that can be faked because we are a church of love and preach love. You can fake a lot of things. You can smile in people's face and really hate people behind closed doors. So the only way this really will work is people have to be individually honest with themselves. So when I look at myself, honestly, I honestly would much rather gossip about Ella than I would help her. So that can't be Ella's fault. It has to be something wrong with me internally. So God help me. What is it about me that would rather gossip about her? Now, there may be things about her I can pick out and pinpoint, but there's things about a lot of people that I could pick out and pinpoint. What makes me always want to drag her down? So I deal with myself. I'm honest with myself. And what's so beautiful about this is no one really has to know. If I'm struggling with uh, attacking her, as long as I don't do it, I can take it before God, get it fixed and clean. The pastor never knows I struggle with it. Ella never knows I struggle with it. Nobody in the church ever knew I struggled with it. I figured out what it was inside of me, got it fixed. No one ever had to know. That's a beautiful thing when you're honest and you're able to fix things. Now, when you have mature people in the church, you could actually even confess it to them. The Bible says we confess our faults one to another. So, okay, uh, and we'll, we'll touch on that scripture later. So, okay, I talked to someone else and that person was able to pinpoint it with me because they're an honest person. Okay, Andre, really the issue is you're a little bit jealous of her. So now we got to figure out why you're jealous of her. And then if we can figure that out with, with you, just me and you, nobody else has to know about it. I'm going to pray on you, with you, and we're going to figure it out. And you figure it out, oh, I, I'm actually envious. So now that's the root problem. So now we fix that. And now you're able to love Ella properly. But what the beautiful thing about it is really not about Ella. It's about your embassy and your jealousy. And so what happens is what what happens negatively is Satan can institute anybody. In other words, if you get it fixed with Ella, he can bring somebody else and you'll be hating on them secretly because the real issue was never the person. It was the demon of envious and jealousy. And so, or envy and jealousy. So being honest helps you fix it long-term. It helps you fix it for almost everybody that you come in, uh, to encounter. And especially when you're honest with yourself, you know, I have a tendency to slip into envy. I have a tendency to slip into jealousy. It could be, I'm just throwing out random things. It could be anything as, uh, as male and as females. Maybe I have a tendency to slip into lust. So when we're going around the church hugging people, I know certain people, I hug them a little closer because I'm more attracted to them than I am others. So I have to be honest with myself. They may not have noticed it, but I know I hugged them too tight because I, I was trying to love, but also was feeding that little piece of lust in me. So if I'm honest with myself, 
Next time, I'm going to shake their hand. Not because they've done anything wrong to me. I know me. And so since I know me, I'm going to move different. Or since I know me, I'm going to do a group hug. I'm going to hug them and someone else. Or I'm going to do a side hug. I'm not going to do a chest-to-chest hug because I know me. And me being honest with me helps me be a better member to the collective. Now, the person you're hugging may be none the wiser. They may not never know any different. Then again, they may know. They may have to avoid someone because I was like, that, that man always hugs me a little more comfortable, more uh, closely than I'm comfortable. But I'm not going to go and dog them out or I'm going to pray, but I'm also going to distance myself. I'm going to stick my hand out and shake because he may be dealing with something and I don't want to trigger it, but I also don't want to dog him and hurt him. So I'm going to help him by I'm not going to hug him like that. I'm going to shake his hand. I'm going to make sure. So there's so many things, but it just stems from a simple set of being honest. So let's get something really familiar and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So simple. Truth will set you free, but you have to embrace it. Now, the the other scripture uh, from that says, and ye shall continue in the truth. And the truth will make you free or set you free. But you have to continue it. You have to be honest. And that's something you do with yourself. That's a self-diagnosis. That's very important. All right. Let's move on to this. E, effective. All right. So you do have to ask yourself in some context, how effective am I? So when I'm not effective, especially in the things of God, maybe it's a sign that I'm spiritually unhealthy. And if I'm ineffective, when I bring that to the collective, I'm lowering the collective with my inability to be effective. So let's look at this, which we I just quoted. Therefore, confess your sins one to another. That's what the King James says. This one just says to one another and pray for one another so that ye may be healed. Then it says the effective prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. Now, Sunday, I didn't quite um, make the connection, but I'll make the connection for us here. So in order to be effective, you have to confess your sins and your faults. In order to confess your sins and your faults, you have to be honest with yourself. And when you're honest with yourself, then you're able to say, ah, I, I got some stuff that just isn't totally right. Now, yes, when the pastor preaches it and it hits me, I'm going to try to yield to it and hopefully that'll fix it and, and clean it. But some things just don't drop off of me all of a sudden. Some things don't uh, disappear from me right away. Some things I may have to come to someone in the collective and actually confess it one to another. I don't know what's wrong with me, but. I've got an issue with so-and-so, or I don't know what's wrong with me. Lately, I've been drinking more than normal. I used to have a lot of success and able to only social drink, have one glass of wine. But I'm struggling more than normal. It's much easier to hide it than it is to actually find someone that you can talk to. Now, some people say, well, I'm afraid of being judged in the church. Well, that's the beauty of the body of Christ is that they are members that are 
beyond just your church setting. So maybe there's someone else, another Christian that you trust that actually doesn't go to your church. That's helpful. But it's always beautiful if you can find someone in the actual local body that you go to that you can do life with even closer than more people in the church. In other words, we love everybody in the church, but I'm really close to this person because they know my junk. They know my stuff and they don't judge me and they help me walk through it and they help me become a better person. And so then when you go to the scripture, it says, then the effective prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. What makes it effective? Well, honestly, I dealt with the issue and the faults and the sins. And if you're a Christian who think that you can't sin, you're just, you're just, you're crazy. Just basically all of us can sin because we all are in this flesh. And when you understand that and you find someone you could do life with, especially in the same church that goes to the same church with you, who's learning the same things that you, it's beautiful. And that's why in Bible study, I said, I want to train us to be disciple makers because what happens is we can disciple other people. We can help them in their path of discipline. And so when they come to us and they have issues, we don't have to dog them out. We can just say, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to check up on you. I'm going listen, if you got to confess to me, you can confess to me. Now, as a pastor, I do that for a lot of people. But if I don't have members doing that for each other, it'll well wear me out because I'm taking everybody else's secrets on. I shouldn't have to carry that burden. We should have people that we can connect with. And the smaller your church is, sometimes you have to seek outside. The bigger your church is, the more people come, the more you can find people that you can really connect with. And that's why I say clicks in a church are not necessarily wrong because sometimes those clicks benefit. The problem is when the clicks drag down the church. All right, so then I, I went on from there to uh, this, e-efficient. We want you to be effective, but we also want you to be efficient because efficiency is important when it comes to health. So let's... Uh, Let's give a kind of a wild example and see if I can connect it spiritually. A, a natural example of something that is unhealthy, but just like really, really smallly unhealthy is a hangnail. When you have a hangnail, there's, you got an issue with your nail, but it is not life-threatening. It is very minuscule. It does cause pain, but usually it doesn't take a whole lot to fix it. Usually just snipping it, cutting it, pulling it off, soaking it in some water, you're usually able to get by it. Very rarely are you going to be in a church context where someone says, hey, I had a miracle. God delivered me from my hangnail. You'd be like, ah, is that really a miracle? Because that's just, it's just a small thing. Well, let's take it over to the spiritual. When there are certain small spiritual issues we should be able to give a, get over those things really quickly. If you can't get past small things quickly and you're very inefficient and it takes you a long time, that's a sign or that's a symptom that your spiritual health is off. So in a church setting, everybody's hugging everyone and this person walks right by you and didn't speak to you. And it takes you years to get over it. Now, every other time they've spoken to you and the normal mind would be like, oh, they just didn't see me. They were occupied. They were busy. They didn't see me. 
because the rest of the pattern that they've shown you is love. Just just one time, a healthy person will say, oh, that was just that was just accidental. An unhealthy person, they are really inefficient in their healing. They hold on to things forever, stuff that they should be moving past. They get stuck in when you are ineffective and you're inefficient. There's something wrong with your spiritual health. If you can't get over things quick, if you can't move through things quick, if it takes you forever to do things, get through things, it shows a level of inefficiency and inefficiency and ineffectiveness shows a level of poor health. So you got to diagnose that. Why am I so inefficient? Now, I'm using a different example than I use on Sunday. I'll go to the example on Sunday. And I was just using uh, how sometimes an ADHD brain can cause you to be inefficient when you're trying to do one thing and you get distracted. So broken focus, when your focus is easily broken, that shows that you're inefficient and unhealthy. So you have to discipline yourself. You have to focus because once you become inefficient and ineffective, shows that you're not healthy. Now, going back to that, how you figure that out is you have to be honest with yourself. Honestly, in this area, I'm not effective. Honestly, in this area, I'm not efficient. And because I'm not effective and not efficient, I realize I'm not healthy. And so I'm diagnosing myself. And the next step is I'm going to find some treatment. I'm going to try to heal myself through the help of Jesus. I can't do that. I'm coming to the collective and I'm confessing to somebody. I'm, I'm going to try to get this right because I'm honest with myself to realize that this is a problem. All right. Let's look at uh, another letter, adaptable. So are you able to adapt and adjust? Adaptability, adjustability, that, that's very important. The more rigid a person is, many times the less healthy they are. Because a lot of times the rigidity or that rigidness, a lot of times that comes from past experiences. And so they build up walls. Sometimes people who are adjustable are very defensive. They're easily offended. So uh, because of that, they built these walls and they're like, I'm not adjusting to anything. I'm not going to be flexible. There comes a time to where you don't adapt. When it causes you your integrity, you don't adapt. When it causes you your core values, you don't adjust. But when it's much lower than that, sometimes it's easy to just adapt and adjust. And when people can't or they won't, it's usually a sign of lack of health. When they won't, is usually a sign of just being stubborn, set in their ways. When they can't, is usually a sign of immaturity. So some people who don't adapt, they don't adapt because they're just stubborn. Some people don't adapt because they're unwise. What level is it of you? The thing about the person who's unwise, usually wisdom can fix it. But the person who's just stubborn and set in their ways, that problem is sometimes much harder. All right, let's uh, look at Philippians 4, uh, 11. It says, not that I speak from need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to make do with little 
I know how to have an abundance. King James says, I know how to abase and abound in everything and in all things. I have learned the secret both to be filled and to be hungry, both to have an abundance and to go without. Paul said, I actually understand the secret of life because life is filled with highs and lows. It's filled with ups and downs. And so what is the secret? The secret is I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So if I gain my strength from Christ, then I actually can adjust and adapt to whatever life is throwing at me. I actually can be blessed in a situation that is not a blessing because Christ is strengthening me. So I can grow through hard things because of Christ strengthening me. But I also can be in great things and not allow it to give me the big head. In other words, when I'm broke, I can still praise God and have a smile on my face. But when I'm wealthy, I can still have empathy for the poor person because I'm understanding through Christ, he strengthened me to, in other words, not go too high and not go too low. He strengthened me to live in a balance. So people who are not adaptable, they usually can't balance. And the Bible talks a lot about balance, especially in Proverbs, talks a lot about being balanced. And many times the problem with God blessing people is he can't bless people because they'll get out of balance. He can't give some people what they're praying for because they'll abandon the church if he give them what they're praying for. If he gives them the job that they want, well, God, I, I need a job that makes 150000 God said, I would love to give you a job that makes 150000 but it would jeopardize your salvation because you don't function in balance. I would hate to see you poor, but you're going to live life better in lack than you would in abundance because you, you can't adjust. So I, I would hope that wouldn't be us who have dealt with much lack. We've dealt with a lack of resources. We dealt with low funding, not having a lot. Everything we've got, we've had to scrap, scrape. Uh, I won't say borrow because we don't borrow, but many times it's harder than it should be. So sometimes my prayer as a leader is one of the reasons why we don't have the abundance that we could have. Now we make it. We, we do okay, but I wonder, is it because we couldn't handle it even if God gave it to us? So while we are believing for abundance and favor, I wonder, would we be adjustable and adaptable if it came? In other words, we're the church that loves the hood, but would we still love the hood if we get blessed crazy? Or, or will we say, oh, we got to move our church out, out of the hood now. We got to build a, a church over there because we can't trust these people around our nice stuff. Well, maybe we don't need the nice stuff if it's going to change who we are. Me as a pastor who's coming from a founder and a bishop who has set a legacy, if me being off the job and preaching around the country is going to make me drop the legacy, I don't need it. I need to keep doing what I'm doing. 
because if I'm not going to have a balance and I'm not going to be adaptable and adjustable and flexible, then I don't need it. Paul was one of the greatest men to walk the face of the earth that did not have uh, uh, what we have who, who, or, and did not uh, see Jesus uh, face to face. He was like us in the fact that he didn't see Jesus face to face, but he's different from us in the fact that uh, he didn't have all the technology and the stuff that we have, but he was still extremely great. But even being extremely great, he went through a lot. He seen a lot of blessing. He, he made major impact in the kingdom of God. We're still reading his writings today, but he went through hell and high water. Some of it was just reaping who he was. He used to persecute Christians. Some of that was just coming back in his life, some consequences. So he got beat. He got jailed. But once he decided he was going to lock in to God, that was it. He didn't let anything deter him from that. He was going all the way with God. So when he was in prison, in jail cell, when Paul and Silas, the Bible says they prayed and praised at midnight. He was not in a praying and praising moment. His head was and feet were locked up in stocks and chains for something he didn't do anything wrong. But once he had that revelation with Jesus, once he was knocked off of his high horse in, in like literally off his high horse on his road to Damascus, it changed him forever. But conventional wisdom might say that, well, he should have just everything in his life should have went up and up and up. No, actually, he had shipwrecks. He actually was beat. He was bitten by a snake. He actually had a whole bunch of junk. But once he said, God is my savior and my Lord, he took it all with a grain of salt. He, he says, he even said, I would rather be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. I would rather get rid of all this junk, but I'm actually torn because I want to stay here and help y'all. I want to be a light. I want to do the work, work of God. So I know enough, and the scripture says he had been caught up into the third heaven. He had visions. He had seen things. I know how beautiful it is over there, but there's still a portion of me that wants to stay here so I can help. In other words, he was so anointed, he didn't need none of the people on earth. He really didn't need the disciples who actually physically walked with Jesus. He didn't need them. He had so much revelation, but he humbled himself. He said, I'm willing to do life with people. And that also meant he was going to get a bunch of junk. But he was adaptable because at the end of the day, the blessing is never more important than the blesser. The healing is never more important than the healer. So if I have to walk away from the healing to keep the healer, I'd rather have the healer. If I have to be removed from the blessing to have the blesser, I'd rather have the blesser. So if the blessing is going to make me forget the blesser, keep me with the blesser. Well, maybe I don't need a Rolls Royce. Because maybe I'll get the high mind. Maybe I can just be stuck with my Cadillac. It now has 140,000 miles. If it's going to keep me being the person I need to be, give me the Cadillac. Forget the Rolls Royce. Because I want to be adaptable. I want to be adjustable. And even in the rough stuff. And let me tell you something. In these last several years, we have been dealing with the rough stuff. But I'm learning this. If I can rise to the occasion in the rough stuff, when the easy stuff comes, it's going, it's going to be easy. It might even be too easy. 
I might have to look for a battle, look for a challenge. That's what happened with David. David went through all the rough stuff. But then when it came time where he was no longer required to go to the battle, that's when he seen Bathsheba. And that's when he got distracted because David was used to the war. He was used to the battle. But when things got easy, it was easier for him to be tempted. So maybe things aren't easy for you because you can't handle the ease. You work better in the struggle. Hopefully we get healthy enough that we don't have to always have the struggle to remain healthy. That's some good preaching right there. And having said that, so that leads us to this. So here's the truth of the matter is long suffering. So one of the ways you can be adaptable and adjustable and flexible is if you have the fruit of the spirit and this particular fruit is the fruit of long suffering. So in other words, I've told myself, if I don't get some blessings till heaven, I'm not walking away from you, God. I want you so much that I'm willing to suffer long. And that means indefinitely. I believe that you are a miracle worker, but if I don't get the miracle until heaven, okay. And the only way I can be okay is I have to have this fruit. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's actually something that's worked in us. It's built in us. Now, there's love, there's joy, there's peace. We like all those things, but then there's also long suffering. So I have to yield to that portion of uh, this because it comes with the territory. All right, let, let me give you an example of my job. My job, there are, there's pay, there's wages, there's benefits. But with that, there are also some things that I don't like. There's some things that I have to deal with and handle that I don't like. So when I first got to the job that I'm on now, I was forced on a truck. I had no uh, say-so in the matter. I was forced on the truck. The truck actually paid a dollar less than the other workers. So I didn't have a choice. I was forced there, and I made a dollar less what could I do about it? Cry about it. That was the rules. I was coming from another place, another plant. This is how I landed. I didn't like it. That were the rules. But actually, as I got to driving on the truck, I was like, this is a better job. So even though I didn't get a choice whether or not I wanted it, and even though it paid a dollar less, it actually worked out for me, especially in what I was doing as a pastor. Because I was driving around, moving around. And because I was moving around, I'd be preaching to myself. I'd hear stuff. I'd be, I'd be preparing messages, going around. I couldn't do that on the line working right next to someone. I'd have to talk to them, engage with them. And on the lines, they have their radios and all that stuff. I, I would have had to deal with all of that. So I didn't really know that I was actually being blessed by being forced into something that I didn't think I was going to like in the process. So I'm saying all that to say, say this, sometimes the long suffering that you have is really not suffering. It feels like suffering in the moment, but God is actually working a blessing. So really, it's just a long blessing. You're suffering right now. And so uh, one scripture says that, that for the glory that we are trade in for the suffering, we'll realize that it's actually worth it. You just don't know it's worth it because it feels long and it feels like suffering. But once it turns, that's why many people, especially older people, they'll look back over their life 
and they'll thank God for everything that they've been through because they'll realize that when they were suffering long, it was actually benefiting them in the long run. Women who have birthed children in those first trimesters, uh, in the first uh, weeks, and the morning sickness, all that, but some of them people later on in life, the love that they have for their child, they would never trade that in for the suffering. They would say, if, if I could do it all over again, I would birth this same child because of the relationship we have now. So even though it is suffering and it is long, many times it's a way for us to be blessed and be the, what we need to be when we get blessed. So remember, we talked about not being too high, not being too low. So sometimes a long suffering in the middle gets you to the place that once you do get the blessing, you are so grateful and thankful that there's no way you can get the high mind because you work too long. It took too long. You suffered too long. There are certain people that when they get the blessing, they never let it go. A uh, person that I think of is Oprah Winfrey who is amazing in all that she's done. But when you look at her story, you see the poverty she was in. You see how she was molested. But once she was able to tap into all that suffering and turn it into a glory, she never let it go. Once she hit that stage, she just rose and rose and rose and rose and rose to the point where she's a billionaire, helped countless people, but what she went through prepared her for where she was standing. So long-suffering, even though it feels bad, it actually is a benefit to us if you're wise enough to understand it. If you're healthy enough to understand it, you're grateful for long-suffering. Even though you may not like it, you're grateful for it. There are people who hit, who hit the gym and look amazing, and they still don't like working out. They just do it because they know what it will produce. No pain, no gain. All right, got to move right along. So strengthen with all might according to his glorious power and to all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. I didn't point this out on Sunday, but look at the very first word strengthen. Remember, is when we're strengthened through Christ, we're able to suffer and we're able to suffer and actually do it with joy, with a smile on our face. How do we do it? We put on, therefore, as the elect of God, not the immature, not the baby saints, but the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and also long suffering. All right. There's more I can say, but let's move on because we're running out of time. So speaking of time, timing is very important. So when you understand timing, so here, here's, here's the thing to kind of put together. Right now, I'm suffering. And right now, I'm suffering long. But just because I'm suffering long right now doesn't mean I'm going to be suffering long forever. So I understand there is a time and a season of favor, of blessing. So I can yield myself to the suffering because I understand timing. So let's, so let's go back to the example of the person working out. They understand I'm not going to have six-pack abs overnight. I may have to suffer a while, but there's going to become a time where this is going to pay off. So I'm not going to rush the process because I understand timing. When you don't understand timing, you give up too quick. I worked out for two days, and I don't see anything. You're not going to see anything in two days. 
You can look in the mirror, but it's not going to change in two days. It's going to be a process. And when you understand timing and you have the wisdom to understand timing, you understand it may take a while. You understand this may not be my season. This may be my neighbor's season. So I'm going to celebrate with them and I'm going to celebrate for them without being jealous and envious of them because this is their time and it's not my time. But I know my time is coming because I understand time. I understand seasons. I understand moments. I understand this is not the time to spend. This is the time to save. I also understand that I would be wasting saving when I could be spending. Some people, I, I've seen people at, at my job who work 50 years. Talking about, I just want to make sure I'm okay to, when I retire. Just stacking up, stacking up. Then they retire and they're dead in six months. Didn't realize that some of that time they were stacking up, they should have been actually living life, enjoying life. Because you're not going to get that time back with your kids and your grandkids and your grandkids' games and the basketball games. So sometimes you got to understand timing. No, I need it. I need to be there. I need to call in today just to be here because I'm not going to get this moment back because I understand timing. Healthy people, they understand timing and they're always on time. And I'm not talking about just physically, but healthy people are physically on time too. But I'm saying they are always on time. There are certain people that they speak words at the right time in your life. Like, man, how do you know when to say the right thing? I don't really know, but I understand timing because I understand timing. That makes me healthy. And when I say me, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about us. But that, that is something that's said of me as a pastor, that I say the right thing at the right time. Well, that comes from being a healthy leader. All right, let's uh, give the scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures, actually, too. And from the men of Issachar, men who were skilled in understanding the times to know what Israel should do. You won't know what needs to be done if you don't understand time. I gave the example of seasons. And so when you see a person who is not dressed for the season, you understand that they're not healthy mentally and spiritually. When you don't understand the season, then you don't know what to do. When I come through a season of the grief that we have where our bishop dies and I got to get up and preach every week, how did I come through that? I had to figure out the time. In season, I, I, th it wasn't the time to just preach rah, rah, rah messages. It was a time to just to deal with it and say, look, look, this is where we are. One of the first messages I preached after we actually buried him was, where do we go from here? And, ain't no need in, in, uh, playing around it. We're, we're a little confused because it didn't seem like it was supposed to happen like this. So, but because I understood timing, I understood how to handle and process through that. And then here we come to, all the way to twenty. 23, losing people all along, and then we get hit, hit with more tragedy. As a leader, I had to understand timing. I have to pace myself. I have to figure out what are we supposed to do, but being healthy enough to understand timing, I can see how we're navigating through it and coming out on the other side stronger. We're not out of anything yet, but I can see we did. We should have crumbled with the things we've been through. But we're not on the verge of crumbling. We're on the verge of going further and deeper because of understanding timing. All right, let's finish with this. These two, I'm going to go just a little bit over time. H is honor. Like snow in summer 
rain and harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. So how honorable are you? I could dig in a whole lot, lot of that, but do you function with honor? And do you function with honor behind closed doors? That shows you how healthy you are. And so finally, we'll go to this. Why equals you. So only you can figure out your diagnosis for, for real. And there is a problem sometimes with this is that, and I, I mentioned it with healthy self, when you are self-diagnosing, sometimes it can be so eye-opening when you're honest that you feel like, man, I don't know if I'll ever get it right. Like, because at some point you realize you're worse off than people know. And you realize that you can fool people, so to speak, but you can't fool yourself. And it can be kind, kind of depressing when you actually look yourself in the mirror and you're dealing with your own real junk. It can be depressing. Sometimes the devil will try to jump in and tell you you're nothing, you're no good. But it's still a beautiful exercise. And to see how messed up you really are or can be. And many of us are good in the right situation, the right circumstances. But when when things like go hectic in our life, sometimes we default back to an unhealthy place. Many times because of the trauma we have. And what can be really disheartening is you can be going so far so well that you hit get hit with something and it reverts you so far back into stuff that you thought I thought I was over that. I thought I had conquered that. And that sobering thought, even though you're being honest and you're trying to be healthy, sometimes it can sink you into depression because you feel like I'll never get it right. And I might as well just quit. I might as well either just be a hypocrite about it or just quit. But what keeps you from quitting is knowing that you have a God that knew that about you before you knew it about you and he never abandoned you. So if God is willing to stick in this with me and I am who I am, really my true naked self and God still loves me and still wants to use me and still wants to forgive me, then it gives you some hope that will shoot. Why give up? Why quit? If he's committed to me like this and his mercy and his grace is committed to me like this, to this level. Shoot, I'm coming back to church with my broken, busted, messed up self. Maybe nobody else knows how messed up I am, but I'm coming back and I'm worshiping God and I'm giving God the best that I got because he still chooses me, so I still choose him. So how do we handle that? This verse just is the most beautiful way to explain it. And so let's close with this. Here's what we, what we say with us and God, just you and God. Examine me, oh God, and know my mind. Test me and discover my thoughts. In other words, at the end of the day, God, I'm going to let you diagnose me. Find out if there's any evil in me and guide me in the everlasting way. Well, God, if there's any evil in me, I guess you just, I guess I just, just need a backslide. I just need to quit. I just need to walk away. I'll never make it. No, if there's any, if there's any evil in me, God, you deal with it. If you so big and you so bad, I'm trusting you with my evil too. 
So I'm going to put my evil in your hands. And guess what I'm going to do? Well, here's the thing. If you reverse evil and you flip the words backwards, the words spell live, L-I-V-E, E-V-I-L. So sometimes evil is just a part of you living. So God, I'm going to give you my evil and I'm going to go on and I'm going to live for you. In other words, my lust may never change to the level where it's zero. I may still like boobs and butts or chest and abs. That may never change. I may be married, maybe saved, maybe a bishop, maybe whatever. Maybe that'll never change. But I'm putting that in your hands, God. And I'm going to be the best that I can be. And when you need to jack me up and clean me up, I ain't going to fake the funk. Yep, that was me. I'm sorry. Fix it. Help me. But I'm moving on. And Satan's not going to get any glory. When you do that, you're nothing but healthy. And when you are a healthy self and you come to the collective, what happens is we have a healthy church. And so because of that, we can be excited. So that's our healthy diagnosis. Let's go ahead and let's uh, have a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, God, I'm thanking you for how you're giving us this message. First of all, talking about the collective and the individual at the same time. But it's going to make us healthier as a people. And the healthier we are, the better we can reach the unhealthy world around us. The blind can't lead the blind. Somebody has to see. So the unhealthy can't lead the unhealthy. Somebody has to get healthy. And we are praying that we can be a part of the body of Christ and be a healthy part of the body of Christ. And Deliverance Temple collectively can be a healthy church and a healthier church. And for that, we thank you, love you, and appreciate you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful, marvelous week. Thanks for tuning in. Hopefully this message blesses you. If it does, share it with someone. If not, just work on yourself and let's see what God can do. God bless you all. Love you dearly. Good night.